I've noticed a difference. A difference in how things play out when you invite someone to your house. Uh, There was a time when we invited someone to our house for the first time that we would give them directions. We'd give them landmarks. We'd be looking for this and turn here and turn there. Here's where our house is. And that's how we gave people instructions to get to our house. But now, here's the difference. When we're inviting someone to our house for the first time, they usually text me and say, text me your address. Because then they can click on the address and a map opens up on their phone or on their uh, GPS, and they get turn-by-turn navigation, right? They get this voice telling them uh, how far they've got till they need to turn and what direction they need to turn. And, and, and that's how people are guided today. Very rarely do you see someone take out a map anymore, a, uh, you know, a printed map, and look at it and study it or have someone uh, point out where they need to go on the map. That's very rare because we are used to turn-by-turn navigation. And I think that that probably carries over into our walk with God. Because I believe that it's easy to get into a mode where you want God to give you turn-by-turn guidance. God, if you, just, if you just tell me where to turn, I'll turn there. If you'll tell me where to go, I will go. And, and you know, we, we would prefer for God to send us a text message, right? Or write it on the wall and just make it easy to discover His will and to follow His guidance in our lives. But that's not how the guidance of God works. It's not quite that simple because if God sent us a text message with instructions as to where we were to go or, or wrote it on the wall, we would stop walking with Him and seeking His, his face and His relationship as we seek to navigate our lives. And so here's the question. What does guidance look like? As Christians, as we seek to follow the Lord's will for our lives, what, how does God guide us? What, what does that look like? Well, there are some answers to this question uh, found in our text this morning. So turn there with me to Acts chapter 16. We are working our way through the book of Acts, line by line, verse by verse. And we've made it to Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. I'd like to ask you, This morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts 16, verse 6. The Bible says they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word in Asia. Interesting phrase, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. When they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Interesting phrase. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and as a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity you give us to study your word. We're grateful you've spoken to us, and we have in our Bibles truth with no mixture of error. And I pray, Lord, that we would come to this time expectant, and we would come to this time, Lord, desiring for you to teach us and to mold us and make us into who you want us to be. 
So, Lord, have your way in our midst. By your Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we would see the truths of Scripture and apply them to our lives. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, we've followed the story through the book of Acts. We've seen that Paul decided at the end of Acts chapter 15 to go on what scholars call the second missionary journey. Uh, The second missionary journey was intended to start by going back to some of the same cities they had gone to on the first missionary journey and preach the gospel and check on new Christians and new churches in those areas. And we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, Paul uh, puts Timothy on his team and begins to head to the areas they had gone on the first missionary journey. They spend some time with the churches, strengthening them in their faith. But then they decide to go further into Asia. When they make this decision to go further into Asia, some interesting things start to happen related to God's guidance in their lives. And there are some interesting principles that emerge from our text. So what I want to do is, I want to pose and then answer two questions this morning related to the guidance of God. The first question is this, how did God guide Paul and his team in this passage? How did God specifically guide them? The second question is, What does this mean for us as we seek God's guidance? In other words, are there some principles in this text that we can extrapolate and apply to our lives? Is there something for us to learn about God's guidance? So first question, how did God guide Paul and his team in this passage? Well, first of all, we see God's guidance through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice it there in verse 6? It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, they were in Lystra, Iconium, Derby area, Asia Minor. They were leaving there, headed towards Phrygia and Galatia, the northern part of Asia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So instead of going further over to the east, they were heading north because the Holy Spirit uh, stopped them, forbid them to speak the word in Asia. Asia. So we see the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, has a direct role in guiding Paul and his companions. Now, the question becomes, how did the Holy Spirit say, don't go this direction? How did he say that? The answer is, we have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. And so it would be foolish for us to try to, try to uh, say that the Holy Spirit spoke in a certain way when the Bible does not say But somehow, the Holy Spirit of God communicated to this missionary team that they were not supposed to go further into Asia. And so, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit was a way that God guided them, the direct ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. There's another way God guided them, and it was through closed doors. Look what it says in verse 7. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So again, we see here direct intervention by God to not allow them to go the direction they were wanting to go. Somehow, uh, the Lord Jesus closed the door. So they could not, they were forbidden to go the direction they were headed. And the question becomes, how did God close the door? Answer, we have no idea. But he did something so they understood the door was closed. They could not continue to go the direction they were headed, going into Bithynia. And so God directs this team through closed doors. They're going one direction. God says, nope, no further. So they go another direction. Another way we see God's guidance in this passage is through a vision. Look what it says in verse 8. 
So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And these, these uh, place names, you can just read them and, and think, well, that, never heard of that place before. I encourage you, when you get a chance to go to your Bible, in your, I mean, your map in your study Bible, or, or the, the maps at the end of your Bible, and you can probably find a map that's, that is, is labeled Paul's missionary journeys, and trace the second missionary journey and see the different cities he went to and the route he took. It's very fascinating. But it says he went to Troas, which is a, a coastal city, a port city. And in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. So God is directing their lives through the direct ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is closing doors. And now God is giving Paul a vision to say, Hey, instead of going up into Asia Minor, we want you to go to Greece because a Macedonian man is calling them to come over and help. Macedonia is in Greece. And so God is redirecting Paul to that country, to that area to preach the gospel. It is a vision from God. And we see throughout the Bible, God will often use visions to direct his people or give them some information. And the fourth thing we see in this text is... God's guidance through counsel and confirmation. Look what it says in verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Watch this. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now there's something interesting in verse 10. We see the pronoun we and us. Now remember, the writer of the book of Acts was Luke. So it is at this point that Luke joins Paul's missionary party. Instead of talking about those guys, now... Luke is saying, us. Luke joined the missionary team here. And after Paul had the vision of the Macedonian man calling out for help, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke get together to discuss all that had happened. And we see here, counsel and confirmation. That word there, translated concluding, is an interesting word in the Greek language. It's the word symbiotso. It means literally to bring together, to put together in one's mind, to infer something from a variety of data. So they sat down and looked at the different data to make a decision as to where God wanted them to go. I love how John Stott, the uh, pastor and scholar, describes this process. He writes, God led them by a combination of factors over a period of time, ending when they pondered their meaning together. First came the double prohibition, somehow barring their way into both Asia and Bithynia, and leading them to Troas, whose harbor faced west to Macedonia. This was followed by the night vision calling to Paul for help. These circumstances were the basis for their discussion as they asked themselves and each other what these things indicated. Then they put two and two together. I like that. They put two and two together, the negative, the block to Asia, Bithynia, and the positive, the appeal to Macedonia, and concluded that through these various experiences, God was calling them to go over to Macedonia to help. That is, to preach the gospel there. So this missionary party looked at all the data. He stopped us going here, stopped us going there, gave us a vision, asking us to go over there. So they concluded by looking at all the data that they were to go to Macedonia as the next leg of their journey. That is how God guided them here in this passage. Now... Here's the second question. Is there anything that we can learn from this? How do we discern God's will in our lives? Because when you start to talk about the will of God, people get interested, right? People want to know God's will for their life. So how are we to discern God's 
will, God's leadership, God's direction. How does God guide us? Does He guide us like He guided this missionary party in Acts chapter 16? How does God guide you and me? Well, let me just share with you some principles that we can draw from this text and by looking at some other places in Scripture as well that will help you to learn how you seek God's guidance in your life. Because we all need God's guidance, right? What we do, who we marry, you know, where we live, do we take this job? We, we need God's guidance. Where we serve, uh, should we go on this trip? I mean, all, we have all these areas that we need God's guidance in. So how do we seek God's guidance in our lives? Let me give you some principles. Number one, make plans but hold them with an open hand. Make plans, but hold them with an open hand. We see there that Paul has a plan. Uh, Acts chapter 16, his plan was to go back to the areas they'd gone on the first missionary journey, check on the churches and the Christians. So, so Paul had a plan, he had a strategy, then go from there into other areas. And it was a good plan. The plan went something like this. Hey, there are these areas uh, that do not have a, a gospel witness. Let's go to those areas and preach the gospel. It's a good plan. And they're following their plan. But starting in verse 6, God redirects their plan. Now the Bible is very clear. If you look at Proverbs and other places, we ought to plan. We ought to uh, make plans. We ought to be wise in that. Plan for the future. Plan our direction in life. But we are always to hold our plans with an open hand. In other words, if God wants to redirect our plans, He has the right to do that, right? He's God. He has the right to redirect us and send us in another direction. So make your plans. Do the best you can do. But always give God the freedom in your life to change your plans. Make plans. Hold them with an open hand. Here's the second principle when it comes to God's guidance. And this is so... I can't overstate how important this is. Walk with God. Walk with God. In other words, you'll never know God's guidance for your life if you're not walking with Him. It's just not going to happen. And so what do I mean when I say walk with God? Here's what I mean. When you are saturated with the Word and filled with the Spirit, you will be spiritually sensitive. So in our Christian lives, we need to be saturated with the Word. We need to expose ourselves to the Word day after day after day after day so that our mind is renewed, Romans 12, 2, and we begin to think about life biblically. We begin to look at life through biblical lenses. We begin to think through life with a biblical worldview. The Bible, as you, as you saturate yourself with it, begins to shape your mind and your heart and help you to make wise, good decisions in your life. And so when I say walk with God, I mean get in the Word of God. Read your Bibles. Read them every day. Let the Bible get into your mind and your heart, and it'll help you to discern what God wants you to know. And you need to be filled with the Spirit. When I say filled with the Spirit, I mean that every day you surrender to Him. Every day you confess your sin, and you say, Holy Spirit of God, you live in me. I want you to control my life. Would you fill up my life? Would you empower me? Would you guide me? Would you help me? Holy Spirit, I need your your power today. 
And when the Holy Spirit is filling you, controlling you, directing you, and the Word of God is in you, you begin to approach all of life differently. You begin to live life with a spiritual sensitivity and a discernment concerning what God wants you to do, the direction He wants you to go. Let me illustrate this with a personal story. Uh, And I'll save you from the the longer version. But when I was in college, my priorities were all out of... um, out of order. I, I was a, a believer, uh, but Jesus was not first on my priority list. And God took me through a time of what I call brokenness. He took me through a very painful time in my life. And by the way, that's grace. W- when God wants your attention, He'll sometimes take you through something painful to get your attention, right? And it's no fun, it hurts, but it's grace. Because God knows your attention is not where it belongs. And, and so when I was in college, God took me through a very uh, painful uh, process of brokenness. And the, the verse God used in my life was Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we worry about, will, all these things will be added unto you. So at that moment in my life, I began to, to seek God first. And I'll never forget, I was in my dorm room for the first time in a long time. I got on my knees and I opened my Bible up. And I began to read the Bible with a surrendered heart. And and at that moment in my life, Jesus Christ was number one. He was first uh, among my priorities. He was number one in my life. He was my Lord. Almost immediately, almost immediately after that moment, I began to sense a call to preach. came out of nowhere. But here's what I believe. I believe that if I had been walking with God at a younger age... I would have sensed God's call to preach at a younger age. But the reason I didn't hear is because I didn't have ears to hear. It was all about Wade and not about Jesus. But when he was first, I began to be spiritually sensitive. and began to hear God's direction in my life. And it's the same for all of us. If we will walk with God, filled with the Spirit, in the Word of God... We will have this spiritual sensitivity to follow God's direction for our lives. And so, again, I can't overstate the importance. Walk with God every day. If you are not walking with God every day, don't expect Him to guide you. Don't expect Him to direct you. Because He directs in the context of relationship. He doesn't send us text messages, right? He doesn't write it on the wall. He did in Daniel, but it's not normal. He writes on the wall for us. He doesn't give us turn-by-turn navigation. He wants us to walk with him. And if we'll walk with him every day, he will guide us. And so, walk with God. Here's the third principle uh, to God's guidance in our lives. Trust God. Trust God. Notice what it says back in Acts 16, verse 7. It says when they come to, they come to Mysia, they attempt to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so, so God closed the door. They want to go to Bithynia. God didn't allow them to go into Bithynia. Now what we don't see is we don't see Paul throwing a fit, right? I want to go to Bithynia. You won't let me. No. Paul understands this is God's direction in his life, direction for his team. And he just trusts God that if God closed the door, well, that's what was best for him and for them. And so when it comes to discerning God's direction for your life, you and I have got to learn, we've got to learn to trust God every step of the way. Now let me give you some reasons you ought to trust God and I ought to trust God. Number one, because he knows things we don't know. Can I get an amen? 
He knows things we don't know. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. And so he knows things we don't know. How many of you have ever experienced a closed door in your life? Raise your hand. All of us, if we live long enough. Could it be that God has closed doors in our life to keep us from something harmful? Or something destructive? As a matter of fact, you and I can probably look back on our lives and see times that God closed the door. And now that we're looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Now that we're looking back, we can say, God, I'm so glad you closed that door. Right? So glad you didn't answer that prayer. Didn't allow me to go that direction. Why? Why do we trust God when doors close or doors open? Why should we trust God? Because God knows things we don't know. And we don't want to just go in our own wisdom when God knows what's ahead and can redirect us into His will. So, we need to trust Him. Another reason we need to trust Him is because He has the right to close doors and redirect. Psalm 115.3 says that the Lord is in the heavens. He does what He pleases. He's sovereign. He's on his throne. He's calling the shots. He's in control. So that means he has the right to intersect your life and redirect you if he wants to, right? And trust says, God, because you're in control, because you're on your throne, I I give you freedom in my life to redirect you. I want you to redirect me. If I'm not going the right direction, God, as God, has the right to call the shots in your life. That's what lordship means. He has the right to call the shots in your life, redirect you. I find it interesting, David Livingston, the great missionary, tried to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey planned to go to Polynesia in the South Seas, but God guided him to India. Adonai Judson went to India first, but was driven on to Burma. God just redirecting them as sovereign on his throne and so you and I need to trust God. Let me give you another reason you need to to trust God. His guidance, if followed, his guidance always always leads us into his activity. Look what it says in Acts 16 verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Now next week we'll talk more about Philippi, but it's a leading city In Macedonia, it was a Roman colony, it says there in verse 12, and we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, it was Paul's custom in a city to first go to the Jewish synagogue, but there's no indication that there's a Jewish synagogue in Philippi, which means the Jewish population uh, was not very big. You had to have 10 willing men to start a synagogue. And so they didn't have that here in this city. But Paul's thinking, on the Sabbath day, maybe down by the river, we'll find some folks with a Jewish background that are praying on the Sabbath day. So look what it says in verse 14. So they went down uh, where they supposed there's a place of prayer. Verse 13, we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now that phrase, worshiper of God, means that she was a God-fearer. It doesn't mean she was a Christian. It means 
that she had begun to worship according to the religion of Judaism, seeking God through Judaism, which is a step in the right direction because she's worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but she had not heard about Christ yet. She needed to hear about Jesus, needed to hear the gospel. And so uh, it says there, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, Paul and his team are redirected by God. They go into Macedonia, go into Philippi. Bam! They find some women there worshiping, and God is already at work in their hearts. And they share the gospel. The Bible says the Lord opened her heart. Lydia saved her household saved. And a church begins in Philippi. In other words, listen to me, God led Paul and his team right into the center of his activity. And here's the question. Do you want to live your life according to your own dictates and your own will and your own wisdom? Or do you want to be in the center of what God is doing? If you want to be in the center of what God is doing, you've got to follow his lead. You've got to trust him. Because if you'll follow him, he will lead you right where he wants you. His guidance, his leadership, his redirection is not random. It has a purpose. If God closes a door and opens another one, he has a purpose behind it. He is directing you to the place where he is at work. And he wants to use you in the midst of all of that. So we need to trust God. He knows what's best. And he is always leading us, if we'll follow, leading us onto his agenda. And so how do you seek God's guidance? Well, you make plans, but hold them with an open hand, right? And you walk with God every day, and you trust him that he knows what's best. But here's the next thing. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. Learn to live by ordinary guidance, but know that God can send supernatural surprises. Learn to live by ordinary guidance, but know that God can send supernatural surprises. Now, let me define my term so we understand this statement. What do I mean when I say ordinary guidance? I mean the, 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 the ways that God seems to use in people's lives on a day-by-day basis. The ordinary means God has given us to seek his direction in our lives. And to, to kind of communicate what ordinary guidance is all about, I'm giving you some questions that you can ask yourself every day that can help you to discern God's guidance in your life. Here's the first question you ask. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Over in Psalm 119, verse 105, the the Word of God says that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. In other words, God's Word, if we learn it and follow it, will give us direction as as to where we should go. It will light our way in our lives. And so, you and I need to ask the question, first of all, what does the Bible say? When you're encountered with a decision, when you're trying to discern what you ought to do, the first question you ought to ask is, what does the Bible say? Because here's the deal. 90% of what we need to decide in life is already clearly spelled out in the Bible. And the other 10%, the principles are there to discern what God wants you to do. That makes sense? Let me say it again. I, thought, I think you missed that. 90% of the decisions we need to make are already clearly spelled out in God's Word. You just got to know what the Bible says. And the other 10%, where should I live? Should I take this job? Who should I marry? Those sorts of questions are, are guided by His principles to help us to make a wise decision. 
So the first question needs to be, what does the Bible say? Let me illustrate how this works. Let's just say that you're uh, out here, you're a young man, and you're trying to decide if you should pop the question, you should propose to a young lady in your life. And you say, should I ask her to marry me? Well, what's the Bible say? Well, one thing the Bible says very clearly in 2 Corinthians 6 is don't be unequally yoked. And it's very clear in the context of what that means. It means that a believer shouldn't be yoked together with an unbeliever. So if you say, should I marry that, that girl and she's not a believer in Christ? The answer is no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't ask her to marry you right now. It's clearly spelled out. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to come ask Pastor Wade about it. It's already clearly spelled out in the Bible. Don't be unequally yoked. Unbelievers, not being yoked together with believers. The Bible is clear on that. So the Bible gives you that, that guidance. What does the Bible say? It's just ordinary guidance. God gives us his word to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Here's the second question. Have I prayed about it? James 1.5 is one of the most um, astonishing verses in the Bible. It really is. And one of the most under-practiced verses in the Bible. James 1.5 simply says, listen, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Isn't that simple? If you need wisdom to make a decision, ask God for wisdom. And James 1.5 says God will answer your prayer and give you that wisdom you seek. When was the last time you asked God for his wisdom? It's just right there in the Bible. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. So pray about it. God I don't know what I should do. Would you give me wisdom to show me what I ought to do in this situation? God, would you guide me in this? Have I prayed about it? There's a third question to ask when it comes to ordinary guidance. What do other godly people say? When you're trying to make a decision in life, it is wise to get instruction from other godly people. Let me just show you this very quickly. Turn over to Proverbs Chapter 11. I'm going to show you how frequent this is repeated. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Turn or swipe in your, on your phone or iPad. All right. Proverbs chapter 11, look in verse 14. The Bible says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. In other words, if you have a lot of wise folks around you helping you to make a good decision, come to the right conclusion, there's safety in that. But if you just go your own route, do your own thing, you're headed for some danger. Look what it says over in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Did you hear that? A wise man listens to advice. Look over in Chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And there are other verses that say this as well. And so you need to ask the question, when you have a a decision to make, what do other godly people say? Now, the, the word godly is important there. Because ungodly people can give you bad advice. Can I get a witness? As a matter of fact, Proverbs says... That he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So when you ask for advice, make sure you're asking the right people, right? People that are godly, people that will give you biblical advice, sound advice. But there is a dynamic that occurs 
when we gather godly people and discuss an issue and come to the right conclusions? What do other godly people say? Here's the next question. What's the wise thing to do? I've read the Bible. I know what the Bible says. I've, I've prayed about it. I've, I've, I've asked some godly, wise folks their thoughts. Now, as I look at this situation, what's the wise thing to do? What would be the wise thing to do in this situation? Over in Proverbs chapter 2, it speaks of the, the blessing of, of, of wisdom. It says in verse 6 of Proverbs 2, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield of those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. If you will seek to live in God's wisdom, God will watch over your life. He'll watch over your way. And even if you are, even if you're going the wrong direction, God will somehow get you back on the right path. That's what wisdom does. And so ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? That's a great question when when you have to make a decision. What's the wise thing to do? Not necessarily what I want to do first, but what's the wise thing to do? But there is a final question when it comes to ordinary guidance. And this is after you've gone through all the other steps. But this question is, what do I desire? What do I desire? What's the passion of my heart saying? Over in Psalm 37, 4, the Bible says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our hearts. That doesn't mean that if Jesus is first in your life, He'll give you whatever you want. That's wrong teaching. That's called prosperity gospel, and that's wrong. He doesn't give us whatever we want. You say, well, if you love Jesus, who will give you that promotion in your workplace? Well, sometimes loving Jesus will mean you get demoted. Right? And so, it's not me, it doesn't mean, well, if I just love Jesus, I get whatever I want. That's not what that verse means. It means that if, if, if Jesus is first place in your life, he will give you rightly ordered passions. He'll bend your heart in the direction he wants you to go. This is important because I believe this is one of the ordinary means God leads us. Now, you've got to be careful here because if God is not first in your life, you can't trust your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Your heart will trick you. Amen. And if you're not loving the Lord, if he's not first in your life, you can't trust your heart. But if Jesus is first in your life and you're seeking him, he will give you and guide you through the the passions of your heart. Here's how Martin Luther said it. The, The reformer, he said, love God and do what you want. That's a provocative statement, isn't it? Love God and do what you want. What he meant by that is if you love God, what you want to do will be the right thing to do, right? Love God, do what you want. So he will lead you through your desires. And I won't go into the story, but that's how God called me to preach, through a changing of my desires. And so, ask that question. What does God desire? Learn to live by ordinary guidance. But here's how I want to just kind of close down our time. Understand that God is sovereign and he can send supernatural surprises if he wants to. It doesn't seem to be the ordinary way God works in our daily lives, but if God wants to, he can send supernatural surprises, just like he did in Acts chapter 16. So what are some supernatural surprises 
that God can send into our lives? Well, first of all, strong inward impressions of the Spirit. Strong inward impressions of the Spirit. Over in verse 6 of Acts 16, the Spirit of God says, hey, don't go any further. And so the Spirit of God is directly guiding them. And I believe the Spirit of God, the the one who lives in us, will direct us at times through strong inward impressions. God has never spoken to me in an audible voice. But God has directed me where He's gripping my heart to cause me to think about something I would not normally think about. And He's directing me through those inward impressions. For example... There are times I've been riding down the road and someone's name comes into my mind. And I was like, that's weird, where'd that come from? And when I follow up and check on that person, there's usually some, some need in their life. And that's just a direct inward impression of the Spirit getting me to think about a person I was not thinking about. I had a lady tell me between services that there was a time she woke up early one morning and she was, she was reading her Bible and thinking and her, and her former pastor's mind came, or former pastor's name came to her mind and she couldn't shake it. And throughout the day she kept thinking about her former pastor and she called her former church office and asked for the pastor and they said, well, he's not in. And, and she said, well, something wrong with him? And she said, well, why would you ask that? And she told her she'd been thinking about him. Come to find out the pastor was in the hospital with cancer and she was able to call her, her former pastor and minister to him in the hospital, a, a direct inward impression of the Spirit. And He will do that. He'll direct us through that. Maybe cause you to talk to somebody you, you weren't planning on talking to because God wants you to, to share with them the gospel, or whatever the, it may be. But God will direct us supernaturally sometimes through strong inward impressions of the Spirit. Now listen to what J.I. Packer says about this, though. This is important. Direct guidance will never breach biblical boundaries or cut across biblical directives. Inner urgings to do either of these things most certainly do not come from God. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that is contrary to the Bible. Right? If you feel an impression leading you to do something that's contrary to the Bible, it's not God. It's another spirit, and that's dangerous. And so, yes... The Holy Spirit will intersect our lives, causing us to think about someone or something in a direct way. But you always test those inward impressions by the Spirit of God. But God can supernaturally do that. He's God, right? Another way that that God can supernaturally intersect our lives is through visions and dreams. Just like He did with Paul in Acts chapter 16. Visions and dreams. And so, uh, God can use that if He chooses to. We know that uh, in, in, in some countries where there's very little access to the gospel, that there are people having dreams about a man named Jesus and preparing them to hear from someone that can come and tell them about Christ. We know we have missionaries going in, into predominantly uh, Muslim countries that are close to missionaries, and, and they get, they, they're able to, to get into those countries with different means. They are able to talk to folks. And, and many people are saying, I've had a dream about this Jesus you're speaking of. That's God. Supernaturally impacting their life to cause them to think about Jesus before they hear the the rest of the story through a sharer of the gospel. Visions and dreams. Now, here's a principle I see from Scripture related to visions and dreams. and This is very important. In the Bible, these visions and dreams seem to come to people when they're not looking for them. There's no indication that Paul went to bed that night and said, Hey, God, I'm going to sleep. Would you give me a dream to show me my next step? He's just going to bed. 
But God dramatically intervenes, intersects his life. He has this, this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. He wasn't looking for it, but God gave it to him. I don't believe the Bible teaches us to seek out visions and dreams. Because if we're not careful, we're seeking the text message, the writing on the wall, instead of seeking God's guidance through the ordinary means in our life. Here's what J.I. Packer writes. If we are looking for a kind of spiritual experience that God himself teaching us in Scripture has not told us to look for, Satan, who is very good at imitating genuine spiritual experience, may fool us again and again by giving us his version of what we are looking for and will thereby lead us astray. So again, if you have a a thought that comes from vision or dream, you go back to the Word of God, you, you, you run it by some godly people, you know, it could just be the salsa you had the night before, right? It's where that weird thing came from. That's why you use the Bible and you get godly people around you to test if, if perhaps this is God giving you some direction in your life. And so God can move in that way through visions and dreams if he chooses to. He's God. He's on his throne. I don't believe it's the ordinary means of God's leadership in our lives. I don't believe we should seek it out. But God could do it if he wants to. Here's the third thing. Dramatic closed and open doors. Dramatic closed and open doors. Back in Acts 16, God dramatically closes the door and he dramatically opens the door. So they can go into Philippi and preach the gospel there by the river and Lydia gets saved and the church starts and we're going to see next week how uh, they go to jail but God works in that and uh, this young girl's life is changed. It's awesome to see the open doors there in Philippi to share the gospel and make a difference. Dramatic, closed, and open doors. And sometimes we're just trying to make our way through life, go the direction we think we need to go, and God will in a very dramatic way close a door and redirect us and open a door to get us to where he wants us to go. And So God can do that. God can intersect your life and redirect you because he is God. But here's the point. Here's how I want to close down. And I kind of say this for the end. If you look back in Acts 16 with me. Here's what I want you to walk away with. God will guide us in various ways if we are willing to follow him. God God will guide us in various ways if we are willing to follow him. Look what it says in Acts 16 verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately, notice that word, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Listen to me. If God gives you guidance... Are you willing to immediately obey? Because I believe God shows his guidance to those that want to obey him. Are you willing to go where Jesus leads? When he shows you through the ordinary means of grace or through some some direct intervention in your life, are you willing to follow where he leads? Because God will guide us in, in various ways, if we are willing to follow Him. And so there's a lot more we could say about the will of God, the sovereign will of God, in particular will of God, and moral will of God. There's a lot I could say. There's books and after books on the will of God. There's a lot we could say. We've got a lot deeper to go on this issue of the will of God. But here's what I want you to walk away with. If He does show you the direction, are you willing to obey? That's the key question.